The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So you signed up for this program, or you're exploring this program that's called the Eightfold Path. And let's take a look more carefully at what that is and how it's related to the teachings of the Buddha. It's actually quite embedded in the very heart of what he taught. But we'll start with um, the eight folds <laughs> and what they are and uh, why they're important and how they can uh, interrelate and help us to live a better life and find some, find some freedom So you'll notice as you begin reading the material related to this course that the steps of the path are often preceded by the word right. (laughs) So I want to just start right away with the terminology. Um, So, for example, right view is the first fold of the path. And sometimes people have a reaction to the word right. They think it sounds like right and wrong, and they remember school or church or something else, and they they worry whether or not they're doing it right. And all of this um, is just coming out of our associations with that word. So I want to point out that there are, um, this the word in Pali is sama. It just, and it has multiple meanings. Sometimes we say right, because that's, actually short and easy to say. (laughs) But there are other words that are used. um, Wise, for example, wise view. Or sometimes, um, more practically, this one's not used too often in writing, but I like it, and Gil has used it, is appropriate. So what it means is something like the right tool for a task. And if you want to put a nail into wood, the right tool is a hammer. And so, you know, it's not um, a feather duster. So this is maybe more what the term right means as you encounter these various steps of the path. So what are these eight steps? I'll just list them. They are right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And that's a lot to maybe think about all at once, but that's why we have eight months to go through and really look at each of these um, and kind of understand how they work together and what each one means more deeply than just the surface understanding of what the words mean. One thing to notice right at the top level is that these touch all aspects of our life. Yeah, so they go from things that are in our mind, right view, right intention, you know, what's what's going on inside of us, to things that are happening externally, speech, action, and livelihood. Other people can see. These are our actions in the world. And then effort, mindfulness, and concentration has to do with practice. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk, I'm going to talk more about those um, kind of different breakdowns of them, but essentially what I want to highlight first is that the path is something holistic that 
is going to interweave itself through different parts of our life. And you may find, therefore, as you go through it, that there are some parts that are really meaningful to you right now because they're kind of up for you. That part of your life has some tension in it or something going on, some activity in it. And other ones feel more abstract to you. You're you're doing the reading and it feels like reading a book, essentially. This is normal. So don't, I hope you won't take this as a sign that some parts are working for me and some parts other aren't, or um, some parts are relevant for me and some parts aren't. It's really um, that different parts are relevant at different times. And this path always has the potential to be used in our life no matter what's happening. So if something else, something in your life suddenly comes up during this course... And you think, oh, I don't know if it's relevant anymore. I have to focus on this thing in my life. Maybe one of these folds touches what's happening in your life. So I encourage you to begin seeing your life um, as something that's uh, where the path is always relevant to it in some way. And using that as a theme to explore uh, the different components as we go through month by month. The steps of the path are in this order, the one that I read, and you'll hear it many times, because there has to be some order to them. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that they unfold linearly, necessarily. And it doesn't also mean that they're separate, necessarily. So uh, you may find that the the first fold that feels meaningful to you is somewhere farther up the list. Um, That's totally fine or that um, as you work on one part of it, it seems like another part is also being affected, another part is changing. Gee, I thought I was working on you know, my speech, and something's changing in my sitting practice. Very normal. So feel free to look for connections between the things, and uh, don't expect that they're going to necessarily unfold neatly. These are things you'll be able to explore with your mentor as you go along is your understanding of uh, how the components interrelate. They're definitely intertwined and even mutually supportive. I'm not sure you can really work on just one and not pull in all the others, in my experience. So it's helpful in thinking about a list or a group of eight things. Uh, It's helpful to have some structure to understanding it. So I want to spend a little bit of time describing one way that the eight parts of the path are organized. I I hinted at it earlier. Um, It's it's said to be made of three sub-areas that are called wisdom, ethical conduct, and meditative development. So broadly, the first two steps of the path, wise view and wise intention, are the wisdom component. And these have to do with uh, our understanding and our way of thinking, our framework of how we're approaching our life in a certain way and how, you know, what's motivating us to act and and do things in our life. And so uh, this has a component, this is understood to be about wisdom, to be about acting well in the world, about approaching things in our life in a way that's wise, that's not going to entangle us further or lead toward more suffering, but a way that will help free us and a way that will bring relief and that will be good for us and for others. 
The second sub-area of ethical conduct is the next three steps of the path. So wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. Because these are quite relational. They have to do with other people in addition to us and how we are in the world. And again, ethical is another word that sometimes has meaning for people that came from earlier in their life. So I encourage you to hold it lightly and find things that work for you. It doesn't have to be the morality that uh, you learned earlier. As you'll see as we explore this area, um, ethical conduct is, as presented in the Buddhist teachings, is it's kind of an invitation to explore certain ways of being and see if indeed they are ways that lead to less suffering. That's the invitation. It's not something that you have to do. It's not something where you're going to be measured. But it's really offered as if you act this way, it's going to be happier for you. (laughs) Check it out. And so that, I think, offers a nice way to hold something that sounds as serious as ethical conduct. And then the third sub-area of the path is the last three steps, which are wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And these are said to be about meditative development or mental development or meditation. And... This is about developing the mind. So it's understood that we certainly need some wise approach to our life. We need wise ways of behaving in the world. And to really walk this path, we're going to have to develop some skills in the mind. And that, often, that word skill is often used in Buddhist teachings. Uh, another word actually for right or wise or appropriate is skillful skillful ways of being. And so it's understood that the mind, notice the assumption here, the mind is trainable. We're not stuck with the way our mind is right now. (laughs) Is that a relief? (laughs) Yeah, so um, just like we're not stuck with what we're doing in our life or the way we're speaking, the way we're acting, these things can be changed through our intentions. In the same way, even the subtler parts of our mind, such as how mindful we are, or um, whether or not how we're able to gather the mind around um, an intended subject of meditation, like the breath, um, or the body, something else. We can train the mind to uh, pay attention and to relate to experience in certain ways. And that's what this component is about. It says not only do we work on things externally, but the source of that, we go farther in, toward the source of that in the mind. Chris said that this is a path that goes somewhere and it goes deeper into now, (laughs) into how we are right now. And this third part of the path is, I feel, often the deepening part where we're going inward and untangling some of the things in our heart and our mind that are driving our external behavior. So it's kind of a journey inward. So why is the path in this order? You know, how does it unfold that way? Most people say, why is wisdom at the front? Because I'm not wise. (laughs) That's why I'm here. (laughs) I I don't have that yet. I certainly felt that. I thought, why would you put wisdom at the front? I'm here to kind of get some of that. (laughs) 
Um, and, but I like this, actually, in that there's a certain degree of wisdom that it takes just to start, and you all have it because you're all sitting here. Isn't that great? You're already wise. So I like the acknowledgement that uh, the interest in the path, the interest in learning the steps of the path starts out right away with there's a little bit of something there already. Think of how many people are not here today <laughs> or are not, not interested in this at all. Even if you're not convinced yet, you're still checking it out. There's a lot of people who haven't done that. So there's a certain amount of wisdom just in understanding that, yes, I can come here, I can engage with this, uh, I can see what it is. You know, that interest is already showing a little bit of that. And then uh, it's understood that with the the right attitude, the sense that um, what I do makes a difference, so I can act, I can start walking this path, um, and I can develop my mind so that you know there are things that are skillful and things that are unskillful. These are often the sort of early components of wisdom, the recognition that uh, I can have an effect on my life and I can develop myself for the better. Um, then comes the effort of kind of getting our relation to life um, in order. And so then those, these are the ethical conduct steps. So um, learning to speak more clearly and more kindly and more truthfully, and then um, acting in ways that are uh, skillful in the world and our relations with other people and uh, with our partners and with our parents and our children and our co-workers, and then finding a way to, um, to nourish ourselves from the world, so livelihood. We have, to, um, you know, we have to live in some way, support ourselves, and doing that in a way that's ethical and feels good and is supportive for our practice as well as for other people. And then from there, kind of once there's a base supplied through that, then we can dive inward and um, really develop the mind and start practicing mindfulness, gain some ability to gather and stabilize the mind. And when the mind is more stable, it can see. And so that seeing is what? Wisdom. You're back at the beginning. This path is somewhat of a loop in that way. So, just before I came here, I was eating lunch at a table outside, and it was kind of near a parking lot, and a car pulled up, and it was a man and his daughter, she was maybe three years old, and she got out of the car, and she stood on the sidewalk while her dad was getting stuff out of the car and doing other things, and she said, Dad... It's too hot. It's too hot. Dad, it's too hot. And she kept kind of saying this. Um, It was cute because she was three years old. But this is, um, I I was struck by this because how many of us have this component in our mind, right? That we recognize at this moment things are not satisfactory. (laughs) It's too hot. (laughs) And so this is um, actually... The Buddha recognized this. This is called the first noble truth, that uh, the, the world is not that satisfactory much of the time. And actually to say it the way he said it, there is suffering. There is suffering, there is something called dukkha uh, in the world. 
And being a human means that things are not always the way we want them to be. And they may be unpleasant or uncomfortable or just somehow feel a little off. And a lot of our struggle in life is the fact that we want to get everything right all at the same time and keep it that way. And this is um, kind of fighting against the first noble truth that says there is unsatisfactoriness in life. And even at three years old, we know that. It's too hot. However, um, there is where the Buddha deviates from what was happening with the little girl because her response was to say, was to believe that the problem was with the world. So it's too hot. The, The problem is that there's something wrong with out there. And the second noble truth says that the problem is inside, actually, and that um, the cause, there's a cause of this unsatisfactoriness, and it's in our own mind. It has to do with wanting things to be other than they are. And this is expressed as clinging or craving in some way, wanting something to be different. And so we explore, you know, what what is it really that's causing what's wrong, what we think is wrong with the world. And so this is another kind of key teaching of the Buddha. And this is, although, you know, we don't like to hear that the problem is inside of of our own mind, that's also kind of empowering because really where else are we going to be able to solve it? So it's kind of good news in that it's right here. We don't have to fix the whole world because we have already tried that for a while and we know it's hard, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) To get all those other people to behave the way we want them to and to get all that stuff, all their possessions and all that stuff, our position in the world all lined up just right and keep it there. That's hard. So it's good news. It's actually inside. And then the other other issue with um, the little girl is that she said, Dad, like it's somebody else is going to fix this. <laughs> so who can solve this problem for me? And the fourth noble truth, I'm skipping over. We're going to get back, I promise. The fourth noble truth is the truth of the path, what we're walking, this eightfold path, which says that actually we can do it. Uh, we can, there is a way to move toward Uh, less of this unsatisfactoriness, less suffering in our lives. And the components of it are laid out for us. Wise view, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. Right there, those things. And we are empowered to help ourselves in that way. Of course, with other people on the path, with teachers, with friends. We're never alone, but we walk the path ourselves because no one can do it for us. And the path does go somewhere, as Chris pointed. It goes to the end of suffering. That's the third noble truth. There is an end to this feeling of unsatisfactoriness that we carry with us. And so as you can see, the Eightfold Path is very important. It's what's going to bring about the solution to the problem that we feel in our human existence of not things not being quite right. And it's possible to find the end of that suffering, to let go of the clinging and the craving so that we can feel peaceful and easeful and happy, as Chris said, no matter what's happening, even if it's too hot. 
we can be free. We can be free of that and know that uh, that's not going to bring us any dis-ease. So the Buddha prescribed the Eightfold Path as medicine to reach the end of suffering, which we also call liberation or freedom or nibbana or nirvana. This is from the written teachings. Just as the river Ganges slants, slopes, and inclines toward the east, so too a person who develops and cultivates the noble eightfold path slants, slopes, and inclines toward nibbana. I like this image because it's so inevitable. You know, there's only one place a river is going. It's going to the ocean. And it's so clear that it's going that way. You can't make it go another way. And in the same way, all we have to do is step onto this path. And that's the way we're going. Just like going down a river. So whether or not you're clear on your aim in walking this path right now, if you're still still just testing out, seeing what it is, it doesn't matter if you stepped on, you're going in that direction. It'll be a good adventure. And many people find it helpful just to have a path, just a framework for understanding their lives. And we look forward to exploring that in this course. And then Chris is going to talk a lot more about that in order to bring it in a little bit more personally and get a chance for us to explore this together. So thank you. So now we're going to take a 10-minute break, and we'll be back here at about 2.10. So please watch the clock, but we'll also ring a bell. See you in 10 minutes.